المستفيدة سبحانه وتعالى الحمد لله لا أبغي به بدلا حمدا يبلغ مرضواله الأمل ثم الصلاة على خير الورى على ساداتنا آله وصحبه الفضلة Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing which could be uh, utilized to achieve nearness to Allah except by praising Him. As the Prophet said, that we can actually fill our scales, mashallah, in the hereafter by saying, Alhamdulillah. Then we send peace and blessings upon our beloved Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon his blessed family, his blessed companions, and those who struggle to stay down and follow the way of the Prophet as, the, as best they can until the end of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O believers, be dutiful to Allah as He has this right, and do not die except in a state of submission to Allah. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا Mankind, human beings, be dutiful to your Lord and sustainer who created you from a single soul, from him made his wife, and from both of them spread out countless numbers of people like seeds, mashallah. Be dutiful to your Lord and look after the rights that your wombs, your mothers and your fathers, your family have upon you. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware of all you do. And the last verse, Ya ayyuhalladhina amaru taqullahu wa qulu qawlan sadida yuslih lakum a'malakum wa yaghfir lakum thunubakum wa may yuta'illaha wa rasoolahu faqada faza thousand azimah. Oh believers, be dutiful to Allah and speak what is correct. Allah will rectify and reform your deeds and forgive you of your sins. And whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger, alhamdulillah, has truly succeeded. It's certainly a blessing to be together, although it has been almost a year, subhanAllah, since we have started together virtually. And I certainly can say that I miss seeing faces of people, those that I know, and even those that I don't know, alhamdulillah. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to bring us together, you know, in the coming months and to ease the challenges that this uh, pandemic has brought to all of our lives, ya Rabbi and to help us heal and treat one another, especially those of us who've lost family, lost friends, uh, lost loved ones. And I think also coming out of this time, it will be important that we recognize our healthcare providers. You know, these are really the heroes that have been at the front lines of, of serving um, the society and the people. What I want to talk today about is going to kind of um, follow up tonight with our session on Islam and democracy uh, that will begin this evening and then continue tomorrow. And that is how do we really locate the Quran? Um, in our lives as American Muslims. Being an American uh, has a number of serious challenges. We tend to think of it as being an advantage, but as we've seen in the kind of failure to address the pandemic in a way that many of us thought this country would, perhaps, you know, the assumptions about American excellence, 
the false American universal are things as Muslims that we need to think about. You know, to be honest with you, if you look at studies, one of the most advanced countries in producing vaccines and servicing its citizens is Cuba. You don't hear anything about it. Everybody in Cuba will be vaccinated by 2000, this year, 2021. And they are actually going to start exporting vaccines uh, to other parts of the world. So one of the things that I think is extremely important is that we locate the Quran as a bedrock and as a mine, if you will, for general guidance. And having a relationship with the Quran is predicated on something very important that Imam Shafi talks about. And that is that the assumption that many people have with the Quran is wrong. And this is in reference to Muslims, that they assume that the Quran is a book of particular guidance, that the Quran is going to give us particular answers for the day. So people will turn to the Quran and, and try to find, for example, the whole Quran and science, right? The Quran is not a book of science. In fact, sometimes we find people using verses of the Quran and explaining them using uh, science, which is very much a story in a way that kind of erases the real meaning of the verse. So in an attempt to try to find particulars of the Quran or particulars in Quranic guidance that address the particulars of the day, there's a number of reasons why that's problematic, but first and foremost is that legal theorists across the spectrum within the Muslim world and outside of the Muslim world have generally stated that the Quran is a book of general guidance. And it's actually very beautiful that the Quran is a book that provides general guidance and on rare occasions offers specific guidance. I can give you a great example. When I was interested in Islam, I, I procured a copy of the Quran from a library. And, and I was like, I want to pray like the Muslims pray, you know? So I thought like, I'll open up the Quran and, and somewhere there'll be like a chapter. Like, all I knew is that Muslims bow on the ground. Right? I read that Malcolm talked about his challenges in bowing on the ground. So I thought like, I'll open up the Quran and there'll be like a specific chapter, like how to pray part one. And Subhanallah, as I, as, I, as I begin to kind of look through the Quran, um, I discovered that there were no particulars on how to pray. But there were, you know, kind of, we say isharat, right? Like there were directives about prayer. Like, for example, those who establish prayer. Um, then I, I continue to look and I realize, like, you know, the how to pray has to be coming from somewhere else. And of course, that's that's the life of the Prophet. So the Quran is seen as a book of generalities, universal principles, what we call al kuliyat. And this is extremely important because oftentimes, we find ourselves as Muslims trying to replicate the particulars of a culture, the particulars of a given era, the particulars of an epic, and somehow making those fit in the challenges of North America, instead of allowing ourselves to be guided by the general foundational principles of the Quran to craft, mashallah, a, a religious articulation, which is Islamic, but is contextually appropriate for the situation that we're living. 
I think this is the first challenge that that people when they when they approach scripture, they they do so expecting like specific guidance on like a specific issue. Whereas the universal guidance is what the Quran offers. And that's why oftentimes when you read in the Quran, you find extremely almost not ambiguous because the Quran is a clear book, but very, very wide meanings. For example, Al-Adal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about justice. Al-Islah, bringing people together. Doesn't give specific details. So justice, excellence, uh, rectifying people, bringing them together. Al-Ma'ruf, calling to what is known to be good. And the reason that this is in the Quran and the reason that the Quran is built this way is because it is an everlasting miracle. And for it to be an everlasting miracle from the time of Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, until the end of time, it cannot compel us to frame our lives around the particular epic of the Bedouin Arabs. That would be impossible. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala and out of his fuddle since the quran as a book of general guidelines and guidance and equips it with the prophet وسلم, who models the particulars of the quran how to pray how to pay zakat how to live with our families and so on and so forth and then allows that to even continue to be scaffolded and negotiated by the community and what we call like fiqh islamic jurisprudence and so on and so forth the reason I say that is that means that we as a community, as a Muslim community in North America, are charged by God to be carriers of the Quranic message and to be carriers of the message of the Prophet And when we pull away from that, we may inadvertently be replacing it with other ideas, other messages, other things that distance us from the Quran. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna We have sent to you, O Muhammad, a heavy speech in the Quran. Some of the Sahaba, alayhim, is related by Sayyidina Imam Tirmidhi, said that we were sitting with the Prophet وسلم, and, and we would literally feel the weight of revelation as it descended to him. And one of the Sahabi Zayd, he said, I felt as though it was going to break my leg. So the Quran comes with this incredibly important responsibility to be lived, not to be theorized, to be acted on, not to be romanticized. And that takes us to the second, I think, challenge that we have uh, with the Quran. And that is very clearly. Yeah, and I, I think also, Sarah, that's a, that's a very honest question. I'm, I'm not able to necessarily answer questions now. Um, but, for example, that is going to be defined, the verse in Surah Nisa, you know, the Prophet as I asked one of my teachers very clearly, the Prophet never hit a woman. Sayyidah Aisha says, and I think the challenge here is not that the Quran is ambiguous, is that I think we're not many people, even teachers, right, are not holistically reading the Quran. When the Quran is telling us to treat others well, when the Quran is telling us to act on ihsan, 
that we should understand that, you know, maybe this verse is not meaning what it means. Um, and then we have a, a large body of legal texts to talk about physical abuse and sexual abuse is forbidden in a relationship. You can look at, for example, the books of Fiqh and the Hanabila, the books of Fiqh, especially with the Madikis, it's not allowed. So the, the challenge that we have, and I'm, I'm going to answer this question because Sarah, I think it's a great, important question that you've asked is that we need religious leadership to speak with clarity on these issues, to say that this is you know, physical, physical abuse is forbidden, right? unequivocally forbidden. But in general, the Quran, and there are texts which are noted by some scholars of Sharia uh, that are ambiguous, like Alif, Lam, Mim, Ha, Mim, but the generality of the Quran, Allah says, Ha, Mim, Wal Kitab, Al Right, that the Quran is clear. And one of the qualities of Sharia is al-wudu'ah. So that takes us to the, the, and thank you for asking that question. And the second, uh, I think, challenge uh, that we face when approaching the Quran is we see it as a book of barakah without effort. And in fact, one of the, the great scholars of the last century, great, great legal theorist from Syria said, um, Sheikh al-Qasimi, that when Muslims approach their sacred text with the selfish notions of barakah, without wanting to work to what achieves that barakah, then they're going to find themselves in serious problem. So we find people who are who are coming to the Quran and even to the Hadith. Now people are gathering to read Bukhari for barakah. That's insanity. Bukhari was written as a legal manual. He was a lawyer. So imagine, you know, reading law for Baraka or the Muatta for Baraka. I read the Muatta for five years with Sheikh Ahmed Taharian. Like, it's not read for Baraka, it's read to translate into our lives, to live, be better people. I learned this interestingly enough from a, a friend of mine in, in the UK who, after the 7 7 bombing, some years ago, his neighbor was a non-Muslim. He asked for a copy of the Quran. He gave it to him. And his neighbor, he read the English translation in two weeks. And he came back to him. And he said to him, you know, where's the second book? I finished the first book. Like, I finished the Quran. He did a khatam of Quran in two weeks. So my friend said to him, like, no, there's no second book. They lived in a Muslim neighborhood. He said, no, no, there's a second book because the people in this neighborhood, they're not following this book. Like, this book is amazing. But they're following something else. That's like an indictment of, of our failure. And oftentimes we find ourselves wanting the barakah of the Quran without the effort. But Allah says, Wajahid bihi jihadan kabira, that you have to work hard and you have to make jihad with the Quran. And what that means is four things. One is I need to be sitting with the Quran regularly so that when I come across certain verses, like the one that Sarah uh, asked about, right? I, by reading the Quran as an entire text, I'm able to understand and place that verse in a way that protects me, protects the community, and also protects my iman. How is it the Quran is saying, be good to people, good, be good to people, be good to people, and the one person that's closest to you, Quran is allowing someone to physically abuse them? How do we understand that text? 
by a greater semantic reading of the Torah. That comes by having what we call dhok, dhok Qur'ani, that my, 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 you know, my engagement with the Qur'an has set like the furnishings of my mind. And Muslim, and, and, and people, and to be honest with you, many Muslims don't like that. The idea in, in North America, because of the opulence that we have, right? Because of the quote unquote beauty of the blue passport, right? Or being a convert in America, right? Has, has that blinded us from understanding that probably we are in more need of Quran and guidance than anyone else within the world because of the challenges of a relaxed lifestyle? Right? It's, it's very easy to feel dependent on something in the face of difficulty. But the greater challenges is in the face of presumed excellence and opulence to feel the need for something. So having that daily devotion with the Quran and sitting and, 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 and engaging the Quran in a way that is not, I'm here to prove my point. Or I'm here because, you know, I have some Quran students, mashallah, who when they first started reading with me, they're so tense. So, so I asked them, like, why are you so tense? And they're like, we're scared of you. You know, I failed to, to set the thermostat. Maslow's hierarchy of needs as educators. And I said, but why are you scared of me? And then they would mention that they have had bad experiences with the Quran, with teachers and with people around them. And I said, listen, I want you to enjoy this moment. Like Allah has chosen you to open his book. Like Allah SWT has invited you to have a beautiful relationship with him. So just enjoy and don't worry. You know, like don't worry. But there has to be an engagement with the Quran. Al-Busti, Al-Shafi'i, the great scholar, he said, Cling to the Quran because it is a pillar when all other things leave you. So setting aside some time, at least if possible, you know, two or three times a week to just be with the Quran in a language that you understand. Like it's a tragedy that Muslims who don't speak Arabic and don't understand Arabic have to ask am I going to be rewarded for reciting the Quran in my language? When the Quran itself says in the 30th chapter that right, that the differences in speech, in language, and colors is a blessing. So having that 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 relationship and it's not I'm not coming to argue, I'm not I'm not coming with beef, right? I'm not coming, I'm coming as someone who really is seeking guidance from the Quran and understanding that the Quran is going to give me general guidance. That's not necessarily specific guidance. And it's like very, very important, inshallah. The second thing is to to learn to recite and read the Quran correctly. And this is extremely important because if we look at, at, at the situation in North America over the last 10 or 12 years, we see that we've created cultural production, political production, corporate production. We've created a, a, a climate of popular culture around Muslims, a political culture that's still being negotiated amongst Muslims. 
economic culture, startups, you name it, Muslims are, are really at the forefront on Netflix. You open up Netflix, you see Muslims. You know, we see this week, alhamdulillah, a, a wonderful example of a, of a, a woman who speaking, you know, at the, at the, at the, uh, the pulpit, if you will, on behalf of the Biden administration. These are all the great accomplishments. But do we have an equivalent growth and scaling within religious institutions and the Quranic literacy? Have we created a Quranic culture in America amongst American Muslims? We have. See, we see this beautifully in Pakistan. People have a veneration for the Quran. We find in Egypt, you know, when I lived in Egypt every morning when you go out, like thousands of people are just reciting the Quran. We see this in West Africa. I know where my teacher was from, that his mother would tell him, go outside on the porch and read the Quran. If you make a mistake, one of the neighbors will correct you. Of course, that doesn't necessarily translate to being a perfect society. Nobody's saying that. But what is the culture of the Quran in North America? Like what, what norms do we have, right? And as specifically speaking now to converts like myself, like have we crafted a Quranic culture the way that every other Muslim society has in the world? That's a very important question. Right? That's a very, very important question that